Welcome to another episode of Off Air with Carmen. I want to give you a heads up right now. This podcast is going to be very meaty. We've actually written a lot of the notes and put them in the show notes because we're going to be talking to Ford Taylor today. And I met Ford about a year and a half ago. You're going to hear about that. Ford is an expert when it comes to leadership, and he's actually been coaching me for the last year and a half as I've taken on some new leadership responsibilities. But one of the things that we talk about, one of the many things we talk about is just the dynamics of change and just what happens when you go through change. And I think we can all agree that we've gone through a lot of change these last couple of months. As a matter of fact, two of Ford's daughters have had COVID-19 and he talks about that a little bit. So it has definitely hit his family in a very personal way. And then also, I really want you to hear Ford talk about failures that he had in his marriage. He's very transparent about it and how God has totally redeemed and restored his relationship with his wife. I love Ford Taylor and I know you're going to love him too. And you're going to learn a lot in today's podcast. So grab pen and paper and here's my conversation with Ford. I have one of my most favorite people on the podcast today, Ford Taylor. I met Ford a year and a half ago. Ford is the founder of Transformational Leadership. He's the author of Relational Leadership, but mostly he's just my friend. And Ford, I met you, goodness, a year and a half ago at one of your at one of your events, and we've teased about it for a long time on the morning cruise about how I came kicking and screaming. And I tell you what, it it. It was one of the best leadership conferences that I have ever attended. And even to this day, a year and a half later, there is not a day that has gone by that one of the things that I learned from you or one of your, just one of your platinum nugget pieces of wisdom that you always have has not come up somewhere in my daily life. So Ford, to have you on my podcast, I love it. I'm so excited. Thank you for being here. Well, Carmen, I'm equally, if not more excited, you know, one of those little nuggets that we teach is to make a list of of people, places, things, foods, activities that fill your tank and all those things that empty your gas tank. And every time I'm with you, it fills my tank. So thank you for allowing me to be on the show with you. And thank you for always filling my tank. Oh, my goodness. This is going to be good. Well, we're going to go ahead and just jump right in. So you've been obviously off the road like everybody and just between, you know, your home in Ohio and then back to Texas. But in quote unquote, in real life, or as they say, IRL, (laughs) in real life, you speak, you fly around not just the country, but you fly around the world and you have leadership conferences. And I'm always hesitant when I say leadership conferences because people form this image and it's so much more than that. It is life coaching meets leadership means meets a small group meets <laughs> therapy. It could all be wrapped into one when you, when you attend what we call a TL. But one of the things, and let's just jump right in to change, because one of the things that you kick off your conferences with is just basically the dynamics of change. And I think I think it's fair to say we're all going through change right now. And just, just talk about the dynamics and, and help us with just navigating through that, Ford. Yeah, Carmen, it, it, most of us uh, in our lifetimes of people that are still alive right now, this is probably the biggest change for sure that we've gone through as a, as a globe, as, as, a, as a country, as, as the earth. Uh, but probably the biggest change that most of us have been through 
even as individuals. And when we go through change, there are certain dynamics that are in play. And if we, if we understand those dynamics and we understand that we are dealing with it, uh, if we had a strategy, if we had a tool on how to deal with those dynamics, it's amazing how much easier it is to get through change. Now, my opinion is uh, our world is, has hit a reset button. I mean, we will have a new world. That's just my opinion. Uh, I don't think we will ever go back to where we just came out of. And I think if, if, if you expect that. So, you know, one of those dynamics is when we go through changes, we feel awkward, we're uncomfortable, we're self-conscious, we're ill at ease. Uh, and the strategy that I teach is to expect the unexpected. In other words, if you can know what to expect, that's great. But if you can learn to expect the unexpected, that when these things come, it doesn't take us so much off of our game because life happens. And then we teach some tools on how to overcome some of these dynamics. And, and maybe we can talk about a couple of those. But right now, I'll just quickly go through uh, the dynamics. Uh, another one, number two, is we feel alone. Uh, there are a lot of people out there that feel alone right now. And, and the strategy is to structure activities that create involvement. Now, for me, when I go out and do live events or live consulting or working with government or, like you said, working with marriages or families, you know, whoever it is we're working with, most of the time we're in the room with them. And so it's easy to create activities, uh, you know, do activities that create involvement. In today's world, that's harder. And so, you know, we're highly recommending people to, you know, get off the phone get on Zoom, get on FaceTime. I mean, get to where you can see the people you're talking to. You know, we're doing group, I'm sure you've seen this, people are doing birthday parties and anniversaries. Mm -hmm. You know, stay as connected as you possibly can so you don't feel alone. And if you can see the people, okay, if you can see them, then that's, that is much better than if you're just hearing them. Uh, we're faced with behaviors that we have to give up. Uh, all of us are there right now. Uh, like me, you know, last year I traveled about 300,000 miles in the air. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I like my office, my recliner, <laughs> which is my office now. <laughs> we have behaviors yeah. we have to give up. And for me, I had to give that up. Now, some of those are things that we have to give up. So we have to give up going out to eat. Some of them might be our own personal behaviors that we have to give up to be able to get through this change. So uh, be aware of those. Identify what some of those are and be willing to move past them. A fourth one is we'll be concerned that we don't have enough resources. Think of all the people out there right now. I mean, my resources took a nosedive. I mean, think about it. Everything I do is typically live, and I can't mm -hmm. do anything live. I can't go into companies and consult. Uh, I can still do coaching uh, on the computer, but can't do conferences. And as you know, because we've talked about doing this together, we're probably mm -hmm. going to do a live stream TL. One, mm -hmm. because we don't have the same resources we used to. So what's the strategy? We have to get creative. Yeah. We can't get locked down in our old way of thinking, and we have to move up into a new way of thinking to get creative. And that old thinking outside the box is, you know, I don't think that works because we get outside mm -hmm. the box and we get uncomfortable and we crawl back in. We go mm -hmm. way beyond the box, way beyond what I call beyond the bubble. Expect the unexpected. When we think that way, that bubble will eventually burst. However, whatever it is we're doing or thinking, uh, the fifth one is we can only handle so much change at one time. And so right now we're all going through a lot of change really fast. Well, set priorities and go for the long run. 
you know, start thinking about the long run and don't focus quite as much on today because it'll get you sad. It'll get you lonely and start thinking about how am I going to come out of this? And as you know, uh, Carmen, one of the tools we teach is called a VP Mosa. And we, mm-hmm. well, that's kind of life changing for people. So if we want to talk about that one later, we can, uh, you know, different people. Number six, different people are at different levels of readiness for change. I recommend that when you're going through change, that you figure out what's the toughest one and change that one first. Because a lot of the problems that we have in our own lives are mm-hmm. symptoms of that tough one. Mm-hmm. And even as you're hearing these dynamics, pick out one. Which is the one that you're dealing with the most? And- Give us an example for that. If someone's listening, the toughest, the, the one that's toughest first. Because in the setting when when we sat in on your on your conference, we had, this was kind of over a work grid, a business grid, um, where you think about, okay, there's this dynamic happening, you know, this HR dynamic. So give give us an example of what maybe a personal example would be of that. Okay. Well, uh, let me give you one of per- my personal example ones, okay? Okay. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, when we were growing our first company, it got very large and, and I was traveling around the world a lot. And this is over 20 years ago. And, and I went into a time that I started cheating on my wife. And some people would say, that's, that's the thing you had to deal with. And while that's true, I had to deal with it. I had to deal with the root of what caused that. Mm-hmm. And if I wasn't willing to deal with that tough root, pull that root out, there's mm-hmm. a chance that I would have always been flirtatious. And I would have always, you know, gone and talked to the prettiest woman in the room and, and gone and talked to the one that reached out to me. I mean, that, that was kind of my lifestyle until eventually I fell to that. And, mm-hmm. and I eventually, so what I had to do is, is I did stop doing that. But what I had to deal with is I had to deal with the root. Uh, and the root was, I was very, very insecure. And, mm-hmm. and insecurity comes out as arrogance and pride. I, when I when I teach now, I say that you show me the most arrogant person in the room, and I will show you the most insecure. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go back and deal with my insecurities. And what did that take? I had to go back and deal with being sexually abused by a female school teacher. And then I had to deal with all the weight that I put on after that happened. And then all the fun that was made of me when I was in uh elementary school and junior high. And then I lost a lot of weight in high school. And then all of a sudden, you know, I could go out with, with anybody. And I, I hate to say that, but that's, I became president of the class and president of the student body. But I never got rid of those insecurities. They were still there. And so I had to go back and deal with all those things that brought on all those pain that made me feel like I had to go look for something else. And that's what I mean mm-hmm. about dealing with the toughest thing first. The adultery yeah. wasn't the tough thing. It was all those insecurities that caused me to go out and do that. Mm. And this is what I love about you, Ford, is you you weave all of the principles, you know, the the biblical principle principles, by the way, that that you've learned that you teach, and you weave it in with your your personal story. And I want to talk about that in a couple of minutes too. But finish going through the dynamics of change because I think that there were like three more. And for those people that are taking <laughs> that they're taking notes, they're like, wait, wait, finish. But yes, deal with the toughest area first. Okay. And then what what's after that? Okay, number seven is when the pressure's off, we'll revert back to old behaviors. Now I got news for you. We're taking the pressure off right now. And, and they're mm-hmm. letting people go back out and go to restaurants. Yeah. Be careful because they're telling us if we revert back to the old behavior, 
of sitting close to each other at restaurants and going to the movies that we're going to get another another round of this virus. And mm-hmm. what we have to do is we have to surround ourselves with people that we call them bumper people or bumper buddies. Why? Is they see us getting off track, they bump us back on track. So when we when we move forward, we don't go back to whatever we moved away from. A lot of people, if you're not familiar with the term bumper buddy, it's it's basically an accountability. It's those, it's those handful of people, one or two people that you allow, um, just allow to get in your stuff, so to speak, <laughs> that you just allow them access to just all the details of your life to where they can help keep you accountable and keep you on track. So it, everyone needs a bumper buddy, that's for sure. So number eight and nine. Yeah, and you're right. Uh, let's expand on the bumper buddy. Oh, okay. No, no, you're sure. right because you're right. Let's expand on that just a little bit. A bumper mm-hmm. buddy is completely based on love and trust. Yes. Okay? If people love you enough to tell you that mm-hmm. you have lettuce in your teeth and you trust them enough that you can share anything with them. They can't yeah. necessarily hold you accountable. Okay, your boss can hold you accountable, your pastor, your spouse, uh, your coach. But these are people that's all based on love and trust. Number eight, change can be fun. How crazy does that sound? Especially in a time like this. What's the strategy? Embrace it. Embrace what we're in. Embrace the change and do it with others who also embrace it. I mean, I mm-hmm. more good time with my wife than I've mm-hmm. had in five years. Hmm. I mean, extended time. I mean, I yeah. a lot. She she goes and takes care of her mom two, two weeks a month in a nursing home. Well, she can't do that right now. I can't travel. So we're embracing this time together. We're doing Zoom calls with our children. You know, we're playing games. We're doing we're doing all kinds of different things. Why? Because there's no reason to fight it. Just embrace it and do it with others that embrace it. And you'll be amazed how much easier it is to get through. And number nine is change is a choice. I have my workbook. That's the reason I can keep up with with the list that you're going through. I've got all three of my TL workbooks right here as I'm talking to you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So change is a choice. What's the strategy? How do you make the choice? Because see, not to change is a choice. But if, if, if what we're in right now, if you make the choice, I got to be different coming out of this than I was going in. You know, I've got an opportunity to change who I am today to be different tomorrow. What is that strategy? Those bumper buddies, those bumper people, keep them close to you during this season. Why? Just like my wife this morning, like Carmen this morning, they're there to encourage you when you're feeling down, if you feel guilty, if you feel sad, or if you fail. I'm the guy that's supposed to be bringing hope all the time. I'm the guy that's supposed to be telling people, be a transformational leader, have influence, love people, but I'm also human. And so I, I can't stay in that place 100% of the time. If I could, you'd be you'd be introducing Jesus on the phone, not Ford. <laughs> well, I tell you what, the, the, the way COVID has hit your family, I mean, my goodness gracious. These are nine strategies that Ford just went through as far as strategies of dealing with change. And we'll put these in the show notes. So for those of you listening going, wait, I didn't write them down. Just look in the show notes and I'll have them uh, listed for you there. So Ford, I want to talk. Here's what I, I love about you. And I mentioned this is that you have very practical things that you teach us. But there's there. It's so it's all supported by a spiritual, a spiritual foundation. And just from a spiritual level from just, you know, the Lord's got us and, and this is a season of change that we're all walking through. But from a spiritual 
from a spiritual standpoint, what do you think God is trying to teach us? Or what has he taught for Taylor? What are you learning in this season? Well, I'm learning the more time I spend on my face, the easier it is to stand on my feet. Mm. I'm learning that God has me in the palm of his hand. Mm. And when I when I see it through that lens, I man, how how much more love can you receive? And and then I realize in that place how forgiven I am for every little thing I did. And and when I find that I'm loved and I'm forgiven, fear and shame goes away. And when fear and shame goes away, uh, you know, the term I use, Carmen, is that I can walk in dangerously transparent. And, and, I, and I tell believers, you know, that when we learn to unconditionally love and unconditionally forgive and become dangerously pr- transparent, we'll change the world. And God mm-hmm. is showing me more and more of that, even in this time. Speaking of being forgiven, will you share um, will you share my favorite story of, of you and Sandra and the list that you kept asking her to make? You, you referenced it earlier that you were unfaithful to her and that you went through a very hard time in your marriage. Um, the reconciliation has been beautiful. It wasn't, it wasn't fast. Um, it, you know, we're, we're looking in hindsight now, but do you know which story I'm talking about? My favorite one that you told the very first TL where you asked her to make a list yeah. that if you did all those things, you know, which one I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. And, 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 and again, Carmen, people that know me well and have known me for a long time, uh, they would tell you that, you know, giving up cheating on Sandra was a cakewalk compared to giving up being angry, mm. being passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. Those things were something that I had become. Mm. Cheating on her was something I did. But mm. I had become a person that I never thought I could become. And as I was trying to become not that person, go back to being a person that wasn't always angry, that wasn't quite, I'm not sure I was ever that, but you know, I was taking antidepressants and anxiety medicine and spastic colon. I mean, I, I, I was taking I don't know how many medicines. I was just a mess. And when I started coming through all that and I started realizing I was forgiven because I shared with her everything I would done and I asked her to forgive me, not expecting her to. And I said, I know you're going to leave me, but please don't take the kids. And she responded, why would I leave you? I love you more than anything on earth. I forgive you. We'll get through this. And later when they asked to answer a question, and I think this will, will tell you, because that, that was the first day I shared it with her. Okay. But they asked her this question. And this man wrote this book. And he says, I have a very close friend who was the CEO of a publicly traded company and was serving as a spiritual gifts pastor at his church who lived a double life. His double life almost led him to commit suicide. But by the grace of God, God spared his life. He finally went to his wife to confess his sin, fully expecting her to divorce him. Her response was literally beyond human comprehension. She was deeply hurt and felt the pain of betrayal, but she forgave him right on the spot. When asked about why she was able to have the grace to forgive her husband so quickly, she said, he sent her this email without using my name in the book or her name. And this is how she responded, Carmen. And I want you to hear her response so you can know the significance of the story that you asked me to tell, which won't take long to tell. Okay. She said, I love my husband more than anything, despite everything. And I knew that God would help us get through this hard situation. I had made a promise to God and my husband 
to be married to him as long as we were both alive, and it wasn't an option to break that promise. I need daily forgiveness for all of my mistakes. How can I expect God and others to forgive me if I'm unwilling to forgive anyone, and especially someone with whom I share my life? So here's a woman that immediately forgave me. And as I was going through this process of trying to change, months later, so she had forgiven me. I went to her and, you know, we teach this six-step apology. And the sixth step, is there anything else? But it, but instead of saying, is there anything else I owe you an apology for, I asked her, would you make me a list of all the things that if I did the things on your list, that you would tell your friends that you got the husband you thought you were going to get when you were down the aisle all those years ago? Not that your husband's perfect, but that you got your perfect husband. And Carmen, I expected her to go sit down and make a list, but instead of that, <laughs> she gave me one word answer. No. Yeah. And like, okay. Now the old guy would have gotten, would have turned it on her and blamed her. Mm. Why won't you make me that list? I mean, I didn't do any of that. Yeah. And I said, okay, I understand. Because see, I understood that the reason she didn't want to make that list is she was not convinced yet that this new man was going to stick. Mm. And, and so she wouldn't give me that list. And about six months later, I went back to her, apologized about something else. You know, the six steps is you say what you did. Number two, I'm sorry. Number three, or number two, I was wrong. Number three, I'm sorry. Number four, will you or when you can forgive me? Number five, I give you permission to hold me accountable. And number six, is there anything else? So I did the apology, but instead I said, honey, is there any chance that you would make me that list. She walked right over to the desk drawer, opened it up and handed it to me. <laughs> so, so she made it the first time, but she wasn't going to give it to me until she knew I wouldn't get angry yeah. and I wouldn't be passive aggressive and make everything on the list her fault. Mm. And I picked it up and I read it and I said, I can do this. A few months after that, we were cleaning the office and we reached up together. If you can imagine a shelf that was dirty, mainly with my stuff. And, and she asked me to clean the office, which in the old days, I would have said, do it yourself. Anyway, so we brought it down. And as we brought yeah. this pile of things down, we, we set it on the floor between us. And one piece of paper that we missed floated off the shelf and it landed right between us. And I looked at it and it was that list. And I looked at her. Mm. And she looked at me, you know, kind of like a little kid. <laughs> Come on, say something. And she said, you can throw that away now. And I said, I'll make a deal with you. I'll throw this one away if you'll give me another one. And so about every six months, I asked her for a new list. Honey, what can I do that you could say you got the husband you always wanted? Mm. I love that story for it. It takes me out every single time. And just what a... I don't know. It's just such a beautiful picture because obviously you hurt her so badly, but for you to go back, I don't know, maybe just the way that you asked the question, what can I do to make you get the husband that you thought you were getting? There's just something so powerful in that. And man, Sandra, <laughs> she is the woman. She truly is the woman. What a gift. And and just the fact that you that you so know now what the Lord gave you. What do you think, you, you mentioned the six-step apology, which of course you've 
that's we talk about the six step apology all the time on the morning show, which I think I have like a two point five step apology. You can get on to me later. <laughs> um, I I skip the steps, but in all seriousness, what do you think? What makes the six step apology so powerful? What makes that to to do the steps? And I so believe in them for it. And I'm halfway teasing because I really I'm so much more intentional about my apologies now. And I don't say I would like to apologize or, you know, I, I, I truly have learned from you. But there is something different about owning it. And just the way you teach us to do it. Where, where do you, what do you think makes it so powerful? Well, you know, when most people apologize, they'll start off with, if I did something, or they'll say, I would like to apologize. Uh, but in these six steps, I mean, you're, you're actually saying what you did. You know, I, I did that. You know, I, I, I did lose your trust by doing this. I mean, I did it. And, and when, you, when you really admit and confess that you did something, something happened. Uh, and number two, when, when you can say the words, I was wrong, you know, th- there's just a there's a level of humility. You know, God says, if you Jesus says, if you'll humble yourself, I'll exalt you. If you exalt yourself, I'll humble you. Mm-hmm. And those three simple words are they're not easy for people to say, but it, it, it's it's honoring God by humbling yourself. And then to say, I, I am sorry or I apologize. As you know, I tell people, if you were told you're a sorry little son of a gun growing up, uh, we don't want to hurt you with the word sorry. But when you say I am sorry or I apologize, there's not you're, you're not saying I would like to apologize. See, that's a statement of I'd like to, but I can't. Um, I mean, you're really getting to it. You know, and then when you ask for forgiveness, you know, will you or when you can, you know, give people space on forgiveness because, you know, Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, Father, forgive me as I forgive those who sinned against me. And then he says, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil. But take that out for a minute and look at what he says next. Because he didn't say, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory is forever. Amen. That got added in the 300s. People have to look that up for themselves. Because what Jesus said next, think about this. Father, forgive me as I forgive someone who sinned against me. And then he said, if you forgive those who sinned against you, the heavenly father will forgive your sins. But if you do not forgive those who sins against you, he will not forgive your sins. And so there's something freeing. In other words, you're allowing the other person to get free when you ask for forgiveness. And if they can't, you fall on their court and you've given them space by saying if and when you can. And think about number five. Honey, friend, employee, boss, neighbor, I give you permission to hold me accountable. If you mm-hmm. see me behave this way again. I'm not holding you accountable to hold me accountable. I'm giving you permission. And number six, is there anything else that I've done that I owe you an apology for? Because what you want to be mm-hmm. sure of is they're not holding on to something that they don't tell you. Because then the very next little mistake you make is going to be big because they're still seeing you through that old lens. And so there's something powerful about humbling ourselves and saying, I'm sorry, and I was wrong. Uh, there's something powerful about always being forgiving. The power in being forgiving is that you feel forgiven yourself. Hmm. And if you don't make excuses, 
Uh, I tell people, if this takes over about 20 or 30 seconds, you're, you're justifying somewhere your behavior. Hmm. And you don't, in this one, you don't justify, you don't even say what, what, what was going on, what was wrong. So when you, when you take all those nuances out, the, the, the apology is sincere. It's real. It's so good. Our apologies here around the station, as well as at home, they've totally shifted. Like this is the way we do apologies now for the last year and a half. Thanks to you. So we, this is when you do apologies, you're it's, it's talking about where you have wronged someone. Suppose you have some, suppose someone's hurt you. How do you approach others? Well, this is what's interesting. One of the reasons is you, as you've heard me say, Carmen, uh, you know, if we could learn to stop gossiping and learn not to get offended, we could change the world in about 48 hours. You know, someone hurts us. Most of us don't go to the person that hurts us. We go tell someone else and they go tell someone else. And the truth is, in every conflict, there's three sides to every story. There's your side, there's my side, and there's the truth. And, and so what happens is we start planting seeds of doubt in other people's minds about a person instead of going straight to them. But I found that when you go to a person and when you go in this posture, almost always things get resolved in one meeting. Uh, and number one, uh, you, you, you go, you can put them, they're not in any particular order, but mm-hmm. one is, is that you go uh, in humility. And what that means is humility. All it means is I might be wrong. Okay. Uh, number two, you go in what I call pre-forgiveness. In other words, I'm not there because I'm mad at you. I'm there because our relationship is far more important than any conflict we might have. And that's called I'm forgiving before I go. Uh, number three, we go in love. And what does love mean? It means I care more about you than I care about how you feel about me. And what that means is I'm going to tell you the truth as I see it, but I might be wrong. Uh, And number four is I'm going to give you 100% of the truth. Why? Because sometimes the facts and the truth are not the same. And so if if we talk about the truth and the facts, most of the time we can resolve conflict in one meeting. Give give the example that you give about the pen going and land the pen or picking up the pen because some people listening may say, "What do you mean the tr- the truths and facts are not always the same thing?" Give an example of that. Okay, so let's just assume that I walk into your office one day, and and I as I'm walking down the hall, I'm kind of looking around and seeing if anybody's there, and I walk in your office and I see a really nice pen on your desk. And so I stick my head back out your office door and I look up and down the hall and I don't see anybody. And, and I don't, so I reach over and I, I take that pen and I stick it in my pocket and I look around again and I don't see anybody. So I just go ahead and walk out the front door and get in my car and leave. And then later someone else who I didn't see saw me take your pen. And what do they do? They start telling everybody, you know, that Ford Taylor guy that Carmen likes, Can you believe he is not the man that she says he is? I watched him with my own eyes steal a nice pen off of her desk. And that person goes and tells somebody else, and that person goes and tells somebody else. And about eight people later, someone comes to you, and they say, you know, that Ford Taylor guy, he's not who you think he is, and you need to separate from him. And you say, why? And and they say, because he stole a really nice pen off your desk. And you say, well, number one, 
I'm in a covenant with that man. I don't allow you to gossip about him. So you need to go tell him you told me that. Because see, deep down, even if you didn't know the truth, you should still say that. But you still know the truth because you know that you told me to come by your office, look around for you, say hello while I was there, that you were leaving my nice pen on your desk. Mm -hmm. I left there the last time I was there. But that if you weren't there to go ahead and take it uh, and not worry about it. But if you were, look around for me. Be sure and say hello while you're here. Yes. Oh. has already spread this to so many people. It now yeah. stopped. Yeah. Oh, that's just so good. So good. We should all, and it's just simple. We should always give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Assume the best in folks. And then why, why is it for, because, you know, being friends with you and, and plus, I, I mean, I am, I'm not scared of conflict. No one likes conflict, but I'm certainly not scared of conflict. I think I'm probably at least one of the few people I know at home, <laughs> Haley and Abby and Pete will say, oh, mom's, mom's the one that will confront for sure. They would say that. And I would think around here, I'm, 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 I'm probably more apt to confront uh, than a lot of folks, because I just feel like this is a gross example. But you know, when you feel nauseated all the time and you feel like this is what this is what I taught my girls throwing up is when you feel like you're you're going to be sick and you lay in bed all day long and you just try to like will it away. And then finally it gets the best of you. You're sick. And then afterwards you're like, oh, I feel so much better. Why didn't I do that eight hours ago? And I just have always felt like confrontation is a little bit like that where you just you suppress it, suppress it, suppress it, suppress it, avoid it, avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. And you build it up to be this big monster in your mind. And then you sit down and do all the things like you say, come in pre-forgiveness, come in humility, come because the relationship is important to you. And you come to that person and say, hey, can we talk about this? Number one, it's never as bad as you've built it up to be in your mind. And number two, you leave feeling so much better. And you're like, why did I avoid this for two weeks, two months? Why do we avoid conflict? What is it hardwired in our DNA that we just don't want to confront hard conversations or hard things? What's wrong with us? Well, there, there's, there's three or four things. Okay, number one, we're taught that conflict is bad. Okay, that's what we're taught, that it's a bad thing. But see, conflict is not bad. Okay, unresolved conflict is bad. The conflict plus resolution in an organization leads to unity, engagement, and productivity. In a friendship, conflict plus resolution leads to unity, engagement, and being a better friend. In a marriage, conflict plus resolution leads to intimacy. You know, even conflict with God. Resolution and a conflict with God leads to a more intimate relationship with the Father. But so number one is we're taught that conflict is bad, and that's not true. Unresolved conflict is bad. And if you start seeing that unresolved conflict is bad, then all of a sudden resolving con conflict now becomes good. But we don't think of it that way, so we get nauseous. Number two, uh, most uh, children have been generationally raised by parents who don't like to deal with conflict uh, among themselves, uh, with their children, or with their friends. And so th they have a role model of dealing with conflict that's not a good role model. Therefore, they've never really been taught well how to deal with it. And so uh, when people get nervous about going into a conflict, they probably are picturing a mom or a dad or a school teacher or a grandfather or aunt and uncle that didn't deal with it well 
and they're, they're believing it's going to be that big monstrous response, uh, like me, passive aggressive anger. Okay. So they get conditioned not to deal with conflict. Uh, number, number three, uh, most of us in conflict, we, we draw a line in the sand. In other words, I have to be right. And so I mm. the need to be right syndrome. In other words, we don't go into a meeting on conflict that there's three sides. There's your side, there's my side, and there's and the truth. And therefore, mm. because of our need to be right, we become argumentative uh, in the conflict, which now shows that com- we're back now. See, I told you conflict was bad. <laughs> but, yeah. but if we're not argumentative and we go in love, pre-forgiveness, humility, and truth, all that goes away. So I think those are probably the three big reasons because, you know, it's in our self-identity. It's in our hippocampus. It's, you know, it's the way we were raised. So, but I think if you could change your thinking around those three things, and I'm going to go ahead and give you the fourth one just quickly Mm -hmm. because we actually, because we use words like confront. Okay. And and so even that word that I'm going to confront someone, I wasn't going to use it, but I'm going to now, but that I'm going to confront someone. And what I tell people is let's quit using that word. Mm. Let's stop sugarcoating conflict and let's start love coding it. And so if mm. we love coat a conflict, now we're not confronting anyone. We're there because I love you. I care about our relationship and I care enough about it that I'm going to share how I feel knowing I might be wrong. Mm. So good. So good. So good. All right. Let's hit a couple more things here. And, uh, this has been so great, Ford, by the way. And I can just imagine folks riding in their cars or walking wherever they're listening to this podcast going, oh, I want to write that down. But we are. We're going to have we're going to reschedule. We we're supposed to have two different events, one in Florida, one in Georgia, actually this month. And, you know, obviously weren't able to do it, but we're going to revisit. And at some point, I truly do. I want all my friends to meet you in person, Ford, because you really are. You're so, you're so, so wise. A couple other things I want to hit. Um, VP Mosa. So what that means is uh, v, v is for vision. Uh, where am I going? You know, what do I want to accomplish? Maybe coming out of this or with my life. I, I like to start. What do I want to accomplish with my life? Okay. Uh, the purpose, the P is purpose. Why? Just answer the question. Why am I doing that? In the mission, the way I like to ask the missional question is, what am I willing to do that others are not willing to do to accomplish that vision? Uh, the O stands for objectives. So what are five or six objectives that I could write down that I could do over the next 12 to 18 months that would move me toward that vision? And the S stands for strategy. So what are two or three strategies that I could implement Uh, within those objectives to be successful. And then you add some action steps. That's the A. I'm going to read this book by this date. I'm going to go to this training. I'm going to go get counsel, whatever it is. But I think the reason the VP Mosa uh, is more valuable, maybe, at least my opinion, than a lot of the other programs that are taught, it's really not the VP Mosa that's that much more valuable. It is valuable. But what we teach people to do before they do their VP Mosa, I think is the game changer. And that is number one, write down what would you want your tombstone to say if people walked by your tombstone and they read it and they would go, yep, that that was Carmen. <laughs> Not a question. That, those couple of lines, boy, that's her. 
And then after you do that, take some time to write your eulogy, write your epitaph, hmm. your obituary. See, I started doing this years ago and when my children were young. And, and it said, my oldest daughter, Whitney, will say this about her father at his funeral. Her husband, blank, will say this. Her grandchildren, blank, 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 will say this about their grandfather. And so I wrote that down about all of my children. So how do you think I treated their boyfriends that they brought home that they were serious with? And then I wrote down mm. my son, blank, and I don't have any sons, but I wrote mm-hmm. son, I didn't write son-in-law because I wanted all my daughters, I wanted their husbands to know that they're now my son. Mm. And so I wrote all this down. Sandra had this to say about her husband. Ford's employee hmm. said this, his co-worker said this. So you write all that down. And then you write down what are some values that if I live those values out every single day of my life, every one of them, that that is what would get said at my funeral. And if people did walk by my tombstone, they would say, yeah, that was the man I knew. And then you go down to the BP Mosa, because what happens is the BP Mosa is much easier to write your objectives when, you, when you're writing them around what you already want said at your funeral. And it's a lot mm. easier to go after them. So good. It's so good. And it, just to kind of bring this whole conversation full circle, clearly, and you know this because you've, your family has been hit with a virus, but clearly none of us wanted it to take a virus and all the people who have passed away to get to, to, to where we are now. I mean, that just goes without saying. But at the same time, we are here. And I think this time in a lot of ways has been a gift. I mean, there's never been a time that that the whole world collectively has been able to hit pause. And as we're starting to emerge back into life and quote unquote, open back up, and I don't think it's going to be the same. But as we're emerging back into whatever that new normal is, Man, we still have time. We still have time to sit with our thoughts, to sit with the scriptures, to sit with our our pen and our paper, paper and our journals, and just to say, "Okay, Lord, teach me what you want me to know in this season," and to use this VP Mosa and to write what you want on your tombstone, you know, as a as a prompt. Um, man, that's a great, great, great exercise. And we can't say that we don't have time to do it because we've got time right now. We've got time. Which two more things. Uh, uh, Ford, number one, what do you want not to change? Wow. Okay. I, I want to stay in the place that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm 100% loved mm. and 100% forgiven. Mm. I, I don't want to change being dangerously transparent. Uh, I, I'm actually okay if that offends people. Uh, I, I don't want to change those things. I don't want to change that I have a wife of 39 years that I've been dating or married for now over 41 years. I don't want to change that. Mm -hmm. I I want to look at that woman every day. I look at her now because she's got a little bit of gray hair because she can't get her hair dyed. (laughs) I can relate with her. (laughs) And I looked at her and I said, honey, I I just think you're beautiful with those little gray highlights in your hair. Mm -hmm. I want to look at her every day and her look more beautiful. At 59 years mm-hmm. old than she did at 17 when I met her. I don't want that to change. I, I don't want it to change that that I'm willing. 
I want to be willing to lay my life down for other people. Uh, you know, every day my goal is to love others more than they could possibly figure out how to love me. You know, every day I pray, God, give me the courage to be humble, the humility to be courageous. Uh, there are days I'm prideful and arrogant, and, and there's days I'm afraid. But I want to mm-hmm. change away from moving hard after that goal. I don't, want, I, I don't want that to change. I want to be a humble man that can speak courageously and a courageous man that can speak humbly. So there, those are a few things. I don't want to change. Uh, I don't want to change my relationships with my daughters. I want mm-hmm. them to know that they're next to their mother and next to the, the Trinity, <laughs> that they're the yeah. important thing on this earth to me, that I would do anything for them. I don't, I don't want to change that. I think we're going to look back on this season and it's going to be really special. I told the girls early, early on, I said, embrace this, embrace whatever it is that, you know, God just feel he's always close and he's always present. It just, there are the seasons you walk to walk through where he just feels even closer. But I told them, I said, I think that there's going to be a time once we emerge from this that we're going to look back and say, man, I wish we could go back into quarantine. I wish we could go back into that, just that season of just the reset. That's definitely the word that I've used. Um, So that's good. That's good for, okay, last question. Are you going to launch a podcast? (laughs) Am I going to watch the podcast? Are you going to launch a podcast? Are you? Am I going to launch a podcast? You, Ford Taylor, are you going to launch a podcast? Oh, you know, it's hard for me. You know, in the summer of twenty of 2000, so it'll be 20 years in June, the Lord, I put this in my journal. He said, I'm going to give you something that I want to take around the world, but I want you to leave your name off of it and to tell you otherwise, because I want the credit for it. He said, I want you to use your business brain, and I want you to go give it to other people and make them wealthy. Because I gave you that gift, but I don't want you to use it for for this thing that I didn't know what it was, but it ended up being TL or Transformational Leadership, Relational Leadership, all these names. Mm-hmm. He's taken it around the world and we've not done any, you know, we've tried to not put any names on it. We've not done any real marketing or promotion. And and I and I feel like, and I've, I've talked to 50 people about it, and you're one of them, Carmen. <laughs> and I feel like God's saying, I'm going to use your name now. Mm. And it's... I got to tell you, uh, given a choice, I just go fishing and hang out with Sandra and the girls. Yeah. But I think he is asking me to do things, and he's a lot different. And it's funny, 20 years next month will be when I wrote that down. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I, I am going to start a podcast, and and we're going to call it Ford Taylor Talks. And it's so weird mm-hmm. at the end, Ford Taylor Talks Corona, Ford Taylor Talks Marriage, Ford Taylor Talks Leadership, because mm-hmm. as our team had said to me, you know, the, the TL is great, but you just got so much more. Mm-hmm. This TL, and, and we think it's time that you started getting those messages out too. Um, so, yeah, Carmen. Uh, Yay. I'll be, I'll be cheering you on. And, and I, I just want folks listening right now to know how special you are to me because God absolutely placed you in my life because I met you in October of 2018 not knowing that a big, 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 big change was coming the following March. And as I teased in the beginning, I came kicking and screaming, left there bawling my eyes out. And just knowing that I wanted, I knowing that I wanted to get to know you, that I wanted to have you on the show. Um, and, and just, you're so wise and 
I mean, you're just, you're a gem. You're a gem to have and then to meet you and to know that that change was coming for me in March. And then you, we actually had already scheduled it, not knowing the change was coming. You were here like a month later. Um, Well, I don't know. It might've been two weeks later. It was just God ordained. And you just walked me through a really, really tough time and have been coaching me and cheering me on from a distance. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving me this time. Um, It's been really, really special to have you forward. Well, Carmen, uh, I got to tell you, the blessing has been mine. I love being with you. I love you dearly. I mean, you stepped into a role there at the station that you were asked to step into that you didn't particularly want to step into. Mm-mm. But you're, <laughs> nope. it was God's timing for you to step into it. And uh, you're, uh, you're extremely wise. Uh, I'm going to call you young lady because you're younger than me. But it's not because you're young. It's because you have wisdom. And, you know, when you meet people with wisdom and, you know, being born and raised in Texas, I, I call it a heart bigger in Texas. And, and you have a heart bigger in Texas. And when you mm. put those two in combination, I, I truly believe that God's looking for people like that, that walk in his wisdom. That means they got a brain on top of the wisdom with the wisdom and they got a heart bigger in Texas. And I believe that you and, and I believe he wants you to have a bigger voice. Thank you for Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, don't you just love him? Like I said, Ford is the chief encourager. He is so encouraging. He's definitely been encouraging to me the last year and a half. And I told you we'd learn a lot today. If you feel overwhelmed, just remember we made a lot of these notes for you. You can refer to them in the show notes below. Or you can go back and listen again with uh, with pen and paper. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like this podcast, All Fair with Carmen, make sure you subscribe. And I also want to say a special thank you to Brandon Heath for letting me use his music. This is from Faith, Hope, Love, Repeat. And this has got the love that he does with Torn Wells. So I hope to see you back here next week on Off Air with Carmen. <laughs>